Welcome goddesses. Birth with love by two mamas, Mel and Sel, St. Magella is a podcast devoted to all who identify as a mother. We are here to evoke inspiration and knowledge while creating a community and a platform where every mother feels connected and heard. We want to shift the focus from the child back to the mother because with a nurtured mother, a nurtured child naturally follows. Join us as we dive headfirst into topics ranging from sex to self-care with healthy families and a healthy planet always front of mind. We too are mothers, learning, fumbling, triumphing, and we're not afraid to be raw and boldly curious. Let us be that friend that fills your cup after every interaction, because an empowered and happy mother has the potential to change the world. Let's do this. Before we start this episode, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we live, work and raise our children, the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We would also like to acknowledge that not all mothers will identify as a woman. We will use the collective terms mother and women often, but this is not limited to only those with a womb. It is inclusive of any person who identifies as a mother or a woman, regardless of their sex or gender. Although we can only speak through our experience in heterosexual cisgender homes, we are thrilled that families are diverse and wish for all to feel safe and included in our mama community. Hello mamas, welcome to the very first episode of the St. Magella podcast. We're so happy to have you listening in today. We thought it would be fitting for our first episode for you to get to know us a little and for us to share our juicy birth stories with you. All right, Sel, how about you start? Tell me a bit about you. I'm Celeste. I'm mother to Mazzy Marigold. My partner's name is Tim and I am a midwife and a prenatal yoga instructor. It feels like my whole world gravitates to women. And this is why we've decided to start this podcast to empower women. My ideal utopia would be full of confident, educated, self-sustainable and inspired people, but particularly women with their unique energy and untamable power. Hmm. My story of being birthed into motherhood has been quite the ride so far. It was a joyful surprise when I found out that I was pregnant, but a surprise. We had just moved into our new house. We had been together for about three years. We were happy and in love. The icing on top of the pregnancy surprise was that Mel was pregnant too. (laughs) (laughs) I had a beautiful pregnancy with lots of pampering, lots of journaling, lots of love. Um, And honestly, I couldn't fault it until Mm. maybe Mazzy was breech. (laughs) We had our breech dramas and I spent a whole lot of time lying on an ironing board Upside down. Didn't you try everything? Trying like to every get every possible everything, thing in the book. Everything in the book. I was burning moxibustion at my toes in the winter of May. So it was freezing. I was sitting outside with smoke billowing around me <laughs> in my dressing gown trying to get her to turn. I never saw you do that. It wasn't pleasant. You. It wasn't pleasant. It's like it smelled like a foul joint. Ooh. Not even a nice smelling joint. Just disgusting joint. Okay. <laughs> I was upside down a lot, doing lots of yoga, acupuncture, chiros. In the end, it actually was the chiropractor who got her to turn, I believe. I had a really uncomfortable night's sleep, and the next day, she was head down. Oh, wow. And that was the day after the chiro? Yep, day after the chiro and a few maneuvers from one of my midwife friends. So she did the spinning baby's moves, which I would 100% recommend to anyone trying to turn a breech baby or a posterior baby, that the spinning baby's moves are gold. Mm -hmm. So we turned her, finally. She was cephalic, and I was ready to go. And then we had our... Cephalic head- meaning head first. Cephalic meaning head first. Thanks, Sorry. midwife. Sorry, midwife chat. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, we had our next challenge. She decided to pop her water bag before I went into labor. So I'm not sure if many of you know what a hindwater leak is, but it's just a 
when your waters break, but not the full movie gush. It's just a little tiny bit of waters that yeah, dripping. Just a tiny bit. Only a midnight midwife would probably know okay. because it has the smell of what your waters are. And if you do the little test that says, have your waters broken, it comes up positive. Okay. So by then I was on the clock. I didn't want to be induced, but as the hospital does want you to be induced when your waters are broken. So I knew I was on the clock. So then started all of the... <laughs> Were you on the clock for a week? Trying to get into labour. A week. Yes, it was a week. They broke on the Monday and my right. I finally went into labour on the Friday night. So we did the curry. We did the walks. We did the... Um, we didn't do the sex because my waters are broken, so that was increased risk of infection. Mm. So I didn't do sex. I did do orgasms, but not sex. <laughs> Very good. Full disclosure. <laughs> Full disclosure. Um, they didn't work. <laughs> but we tried. Um, then what else did I do? Oh, pretty much everything to try and get into labor. And I, I knew every trick in the book. I think I know the one that actually did it. My, my final, my final port of call, which I would not recommend to pregnant women because it isn't totally safe unless you're very well hydrated and you kind of know what you're looking out for, know that your baby's well, if it's moving around. You're a medical professional. Yeah. So so I I wouldn't recommend castor oil. It is an old wives tale. But it did do the trick to finally get me into labour. So castor oil, again, for those who don't know the castor oil trick, all it does is pretty much give you chronic diarrhoea <laughs> and irritate your uterus so much Gross. that you turn, you get into labour. So we had, I had a, a big drink of castor oil and not only was it castor oil, but it was castor oil that had been out of date in one of my family <laughs> friends' cupboards for about 10 years. <laughs> So off castor oil, ingested. Uh, so, wait, so does that mean during labour you wouldn't poo? Because um, you know that whole thing, people freak yeah. out they're going to poo. Because yeah. you've pooed so much. Yeah, but I had pooed so much and I still pooed. In labor. <laughs> okay. So it was only right. small and I was sitting on the toilet. Myth so busting today. Myth busting. <laughs> um, so anyway, we went, I went into labour, my waters broke, I had chronic diarrhoea, but before I had the chronic diarrhoea and then... It had actually had petered off and I was feeling absolutely fine. Like I didn't feel sick. And then my waters finally broke after we had gone to try and go to a gold class, but it was all sold out. Movies. We went and had Vietnamese for dinner and then we watched a movie in bed and my waters broke around 11 p.m. that night. And okay, so then proper broke. Proper broke. Mm. Jumped out of the bed, leapt all over the floor big hurrah team going, whoa, what's just happened? I just fell asleep. Wow. And that was the most exciting thing ever for me because I was like, yes, I'm going to go into proper labour. Yay, finally. And it actually sounds like the movies. Yes, it was. It was like the movie gush. I could feel it bubbling between my labia and then I jumped out of my bed. (laughs) Cool. Um, So there we were. So contractions started pretty soon after my four waters broke and... I'd like to say that we called our labour and birth experience Mazzy Fest because it felt like <laughs> such a festival to me. It was honestly one of the most positive times and exciting and there was a family friend with me supporting me because she was kind of like my doula. My best friend popped in and she was there for some of my labour. Two of my midwife friends came and um, did cheeky stretch and sweeps and Vs. So it was just so beautiful. My house was lit up with the Canara. It was the middle of or the beginning of June. It was cold outside. You had like an altar set up. I remember. It I had like an altar set up. The whole and, like... the whole house was just magic. And I honestly wouldn't have said that it was painful when I was at home. I just was enjoying it so much and so excited to be in labor and so fearless that it was it was really euphoric. Mm. Um. And then we finally went into hospital around 8pm or 9pm actually on the Saturday night. So my waters had broken. I went into labor on the Friday night and I went into the hospital on the Saturday at 8pm. I was greeted by one of my best midwife friends. So it was really nice and friendly and beautiful to go into hospital and have Leah, my midwife, there. By this stage, I was in good labor. I was contracting well, 
I declined most of the intervention that they did want for me because I need to be on a monitor because my waters had been broken for a while and I did need antibiotics as well, but I declined both of these just out of personal preference. Um, and then it kind of just got really intense from there. I had an ant- I had a, a wild transition. If anyone who's had a baby before knows transition, transition is something else. Like yeah. I've seen hundreds and it's hundreds wild times, of yeah. women in transition, but transition was like, wow. It just hit me for six. Like, I just felt like I was going mad. Really. So wait, before all that, you're saying your labor pains, you were fine. You I felt was, like you were in I control. Was, and you I was in control, breathing. You weren't scared. I wasn't scared. I was That's more amazing. excited. Like they definitely, I wouldn't say they didn't hurt. Mm. They did take my breath away. They were painful, but I was really rolling with it and coping and enjoying and using. Like I, I liked a heat pack on my back the whole time. Tim and Emily were just amazing for me. Yeah. I had one person doing something on my belly while the other person was doing something on my back. And I just, I really felt amazing. Yeah. And then transition just kind of like, I was in the shower, I started just doing, getting that whole, I can't, I can't, I'm so tired, I, I knew where I was. And in, how long had you been in labour at that stage as well? So, by that stage it had been from Friday night, 11pm, till, yeah, so essentially 24 hours. Yeah. But it wow. had been on and off, on and off. Yeah. Um, and then... I was doing that. I can't, I can't, I do. I, I just need to sleep. I just need to sleep. I did ask for an epidural, but I knew it was too late. And I knew I also didn't really want one. So Leah was very nice and like, she's like, you know, you know, you don't want it. And I'm like, I know I don't want it, <laughs> but I do, but I don't. And it's so tiring. <laughs> so I was having a full crisis. Uh, <clears throat> then I felt like she was a bit, stuck behind something so who's she mazzy i didn't know Ah, know. she's broken the news it was a girl it was a girl but i didn't know that at the time so i felt like my baby (laughs) was was kind of stuck and i did end up having a bit of an anterior lip of cervix left i was jumping around the room to try and get rid of that again in my midwife mind i knew what was going on i was probably a little bit too conscious of what was going on i knew mm. i wanted to know my progress a lot i i asked for examinations quite frequently because i just felt like knowing how dilated my cervix was was going to just allow me to to know where i was and how long it's amazing that you had that rational part of your mind yeah. still working in this like crazy time it was weird because i didn't I thought I would be really like that, and then in lots of the times I wasn't, but I, w- I did surprise myself how much I really did want to know, because yeah. even as a midwife, I know that cervical dilation doesn't tell the whole story at all. Like, yeah. someone can be four centimetres and, and have a baby minute. next minute, mm. and, or someone can be eight centimetres for ages, or whatever. So it was it was really weird that I wanted to know so much. But I think it was just because I was really tired. I'd had not much sleep, like, coming up to the labour. And then it had been a full 24 hours. So I was really, like, I had a lot of adrenaline running. But I was really, I was really tired. I was falling asleep in between contractions. And I just, I suppose, after her being breech and then the week of trying to get into labour, I was just ready to have mm. my baby. And she, she was essentially obstructed, wasn't she? Yeah. So, so well, so... I would then was fully dilated and so they said, you're fully dilated. You can push. And I was like, yes, yay. I can push my baby out. Fantastic. But I ended up pushing for three hours and it felt like I was pushing into a brick wall. I was just trying everything I tried, uh, in a lunge, squat, toilet, birth stool, all fours, lithotomy, Everything. Every position that there is, I was jumping in and out just trying for it to happen because I knew moving around your pelvis was the way to go. So I tried to push her out and then I after about two hours of that, I just kind of looked at my midwife and said, 
you, uh, you're going to have to tell the doctors. Like, I knew the protocol. And what he, was Tim doing in all of this? Oh, he was being amazing. But to be honest, I actually don't know. <laughs> because my eyes were closed and I was just like, whatever. You were in your world. Apparently, yeah. we, was, we were in the bathroom and it was freezing. So, Em and Tim were, like, freezing, supporting oh, really? me in the bathroom. Like, but naked. I was just naked in the shower. It was like, transition, crazy girl. So... Yeah, it, then afterwards like, the doctors came in and it kind of all got a bit intervention from then onwards. We ended up having to go down to theatre for a trial of forceps or an instrumental delivery. And that, by then I had just completely surrendered. I, I didn't mind what had happened. I just wanted her safe and I also just wanted to have my baby. I was mm. I was so exhausted. I bet. And a well-respected consultant ended up coming in to theatre to birth my baby and she was still really high in my pelvis. So I decided that rather risk her potentially having the trauma of forceps or a vacuum on her head from quite high in my pelvis, I he, he offered me a Caesar thinking that was going to be the, the best way to get her out. Yeah. And I was really not wanting a Caesar and I cried on the table, but then I knew... It was kind of like me or her, and I was only worried about the season because of, I, I suppose, me, because she'd already been through all that labour, and I knew I could get all the good bugs from the vaginal birth by doing seeding and breastfeeding and skin-to-skin straight away. So I was kind of just more worried about her being hurt coming out instrumentally. So I just thought, no, nah, cut me open. That is done. Yeah. That's me, mother. Yeah. That's kind of where I became a mother. Welcome I to suppose. motherhood. Welcome to motherhood. <laughs> Me second. Yep. So that it was actually a beautiful Caesar, really calm, really nice. She got handed to me within a minute of her being born. Like they quickly checked her and just put her straight on my chest. And I was like reaching out, gimme, 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 oh. gimme my baby. And there she was, our little golden orange haired marigold. Oh. Gorgeous. What did you feel when you first saw her? Do you remember? Oh, I just couldn't believe that she was a girl because I wanted a girl <laughs> yes! so much. Even though I'm not about the gender thing, I just really, for some reason, just wanted... You were vibing it. I just was vibing a girl my whole pregnancy, really wanting a girl. Just kind of that girl power, that the, the opportunity to mold her into a little How mini amazing. feminist was just yeah. what I was vibing the whole time. And then she was a girl with orange hair and she she looked or her head was in a funky shape because she'd been so jammed in my pelvis. So I felt so sad for her, but I was so relieved and excited for our life. Like I remember just how tired I was just evaporated and I just was like boom yeah, oxytocin burst of energy oxytocin high straight away you go for a run I <laughs> I was up for hours after then like no worries but before I'd been falling asleep mid-labor so yeah. it was it was it was wild and then after all of the theater the first breastfeed was magical like just straight Straight on, just Took slapped her own, slapped her on, and I was just smiling, getting my photo taken. Tim was there. He looked like he had been on a 20-day bender. He looked worse for wear than me. All the photos are just hilarious. Oh, I need to see them. <clears throat> I actually need to see them. You should get them out. <laughs> yeah, because it is just ridiculous. He looks like blurry-eyed, like he'd been in labour for 20 days, but and I'm just like, ah, hi. <laughs> look, look at my baby. <laughs> So then we went to our our room and we kind of just all squished in a single bed. I still had had I had no feeling of my legs, so I had a spinal. So I really should have just been resting in bed, but I got Tim in the bed and squished over. And Mazzy was all she wasn't Mazzy then, but she was all nestled into me, breastfeeding, <clears throat> and we're just drifting. <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> drifting in and out of sleep. Um, for the next couple of hours, just in bliss. I, I don't really even remember much of that part. It was just boobing and sleeping and I think a few of the midwives and doctors had popped in, but they'd seen that we were just all snuggled in bed, even though we're not meant to all be in there because the babies aren't meant to be in the bed with the mum. You would have gotten special privileges. But they were like, oh, it's Celeste, don't worry. We'll just leave her be, whatever she's doing. 
And then kind of our world started, or well, first of all, we had a couple of visitors. Tim's family came in and my best friend and actually Mal and Nick, you were there, you were walking in to meet us when our whole world kind of turned upside down. So in the corridor, we passed Mal and Nick and their baby Sadie when we were on our way to the special care nursery because Mazzy had had a extremely low blood sugar and it was picked up just by chance by one of my midwife friends. She hadn't been really holding her temperature well, so they just decided to do her blood sugar and by no idea, I don't even know how this midwife thought to do her blood sugar because it wasn't even something that I would have done in my practice. But thank God she did because her blood sugar was below one and she needed to be on a drip straight away. So we were rushed into the special care nursery, put onto a a drip, got like she, her poor little tiny veins had to be cannulated and there was doctors all in there. I I was, had just had a Caesar, so I hadn't even got up and had a shower yet, but I just whipped on some pants and just didn't even have any pain relief, just walked in. My adrenaline was just through the roof. So I was just turned into a medical mother there and then. And that's kind of where our intense and crazy journey started for our HI baby. So HI is hyperinsulinism. If you don't know, which I'm sure you don't, because it's an extremely (laughs) rare and relentless condition. Um, and that's what Marigold, our 15 month old does have. So hyperinsulinism means that she creates too much insulin and kind of the opposite to diabetes. That's what I always think of it. Opposite of diabetes. Everyone hears about diabetes. Everyone knows what diabetes is or if they don't know really, they've heard of it. So I always just say it's the opposite of diabetes because essentially it is. She has too much insulin where diabetics have not enough. So she has too much insulin from her pancreas and we were transferred to Monash Hospital when she was at four days old and we kept on being told, like, we were trying different medications on the drip, trying to get her off the drip and the weeks or the days started turning to weeks and then the weeks turned into months and then there was a lot that went on and I'm not going to go into the full ins and outs of it. You were in hospital the whole time. But we were in hospital. Mazzy was connected to a drip the whole time. Mm. We didn't get to pick her up and spin her around for what was about three and a half months. She was connected by a drip for the whole time. We ended up actually calling her drip Frank. (laughs) And we hated Frank. Frank was just this stupid thing that we had to wheel around everywhere with our baby, although he was saving our life also. So we loved it's a love-hate and, relationship. We loved and hated Frank. And from Monash, we ended up going to the Royal Children's Hospital and lots of genetic testing and lots of question marks, lots of tears, lots of sleeping on a couch by her side. It was intense, and I stayed with her for all but... But I think it was maybe five nights in total. And with those five nights, either Tim or his mum or a friend was by her side. So she was never alone. She was looked after and loved by a community that I, is pretty much undescribable around our parts. The support that we got was amazing. Tim was barely working. Our friends did a fundraiser and they raised money for us so we could still pay our mortgage and our bills and also just get some self-care, get a massage because I was sleeping on a latex couch for four months and I had just I had I swear a... you didn't complain about it once, by the way. Oh. I was like, how are you sleeping on that? And you were like, yeah, it's okay. It's fine, actually. In fairness, I've slept in worse hostel beds, I have to say. It was, it was not the best. It's not where I wanted to be for my 40 days postpartum, but it was not the most uncomfortable bed I've ever had. Yeah. So it was kind of just what we had to do. It was... What was the actual fear? So like um, hyperinsulinism, the risk is that. So the risk is that she'll have a low blood sugar and with a, and such a low blood sugar that it will cause neurological damage. Yeah. So with a low blood sugar for anyone, we've got all of these regulating hormones, 
going on in our body. So if we haven't eaten for a while, we create ketones and we create other energy so sources. So stuff gets triggered automatically. Yeah, so yeah. we, a normal person with a normal pancreas, turns off their insulin when their blood sugar is low. But with Mazzy, she doesn't. So she mm. can't turn off those parts of her pancreas that are abnormal. And that means that she's just at risk of her blood sugar going lower, lower, lower until she's just comatose. So it's super, super delicate, super intense because you have to be on it all the time. She has to be eating a lot. So she's not like a a regular baby who who can demand feed as such. She had to be stuffed full of food for months and months and months and still now she's 15 months old and we have to give her a snack every five minutes we she has to be on the boob she's still breastfeeding like a newborn <clears throat> she can sleep through almost the whole night now but it's it's rare mm. and a lot of medical management a lot of <clears throat> different medications were trialed she had two surgeries that removed parts of her pancreas which were honestly the most horrific days of my life to see her in so much pain post-surgery and to just even let her out of my sight for those four-hour surgeries was just oh something else just a feeling in your stomach that you just never want to go through it's just awful but it had to be done and both of those were unsuccessful so we would you say they were definitely unsuccessful or do you think they 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 were not they were not curative yeah so they could have been curative but they were not but unsuccessful, yes. We don't know how bad her insulin, hyperinsulinism could have been without the surgeries, yeah. but they definitely didn't take all of our problems away. Yeah. So we call we call her pancreas Pete, and Pete's got a nasty little streak in him, I have Why to say. Why are all these bad guys guys? <laughs> I know. God, am I a man-hater? <laughs> anyway, we got through all that four months and one day in hospital. <clears throat> and then we came home to Rye for the very first time. And that was just amazing. Mm. We had our first bath, our first beach walk, coffee dates with friends, all of the regular mum things that I'd been missing so much. All my people were finally around me. Mazzy was a four-month-old, chubby as ever, because she'd been so stuffed full of food in hospital. And I was just so, so grateful for everything. Everything that was little and small, just sleeping you in your own bed, cooking your own meal. I tell you what, everyone who complains about cooking, <clears throat> all I wanted to do was try cook. being in a hospital. All kitchen. I wanted to do was cook my own meal, which I have to say, also a huge mention to all my midwife friends who create, who actually fed me for four months straight. Mm-hmm. I had Tupperware meals for four months, and Tim as well, because all of my colleagues at my workplace all got together and organized snacks and not just like your crappy snacks, not just a, a like a bolognese and a mm. lasagna, like even though those are beautiful, but like it wasn't the same. It was beautiful yeah, protein healthy. balls, yeah. bone broth, healthy, healthy, delicious food for four months. So we didn't have to spend all our money on canteen food and we were, I was so nourished. So I really do feel like I sort of had my 40 days postpartum, but just... Well, you were inside. I was inside. <laughs> I was definitely inside. I was inside and it was warm. The special care nursery was warm. There was no Very way fun. my my chi could have got out of that boiling hot place. Mm. <laughs> so that was that was really cool. Uh, where, where are we in my journey? We, so you just got home. So I just got home and then... From there, it's kind of been a blur because when you've got a toddler or a baby, it just all goes quick, quick, quick. We went to New Zealand. We just like nipped out for a holiday in November. She was six months old with Tim's family and that was beautiful. It was really, really nice. She was super stable with her condition then. She was manageable, wasn't she? So manageable. She was by then on it. So she got off her drip and she's on medications now. So she was super manageable, just needing her blood sugars, needing her regular breastfeeds, and she was having a hypos, but we were super confident in managing them, and now we even are more so. So we had a beautiful holiday in New Zealand, and that was the last holiday before 2020 happened. Good old 2020. Good old 2020. We had a beautiful summer. The Mornington Peninsula summer is quite a dream we spent a lot of time 
at the beach with our babes. Mel and I always get extra stoked that we once got them both to sleep on the beach. Oh, that memory will <laughs> always exist in my mind. How did we do it? It was like our first beach day and we were like, oh my God, we are going to nail mum life. We can just get the babes to sleep on the beach and we can we just know what we're doing, read yeah. our book, eat our watermelon, have our snacks. But that was the last time they ever slept. The ever one and only together. time. Yeah. <laughs> or at the beach for that matter so we fast forward and March rolled round COVID <clears throat> turned on fast forward even more so and mid COVID we've kind of just been cruising cruising really in our house doing house things yeah. I, I went back to work in July Mazzy had her first birthday in between the two COVID waves just between 1.0 and 2.0 it was amazing literally, literally just middle. so luckily she, we were allowed to have guests over for her birthday party and it actually turned out to be a full-on rager Tim was awake <laughs> until 7 a.m <laughs> so we he, might have to edit that bit out yeah we'll have to edit that bit out um and yeah and that brings us to now I'm back working two days a week I love my family Mazzy is What's Mazzy doing at the moment? Mazzy What's is... What's her thing? Oh, gosh. What isn't she doing? She's <laughs> she's eating her sand because she loves oh, that. Oh, God. <laughs> she loves to eat everything that's not edible. It could be complex from her disorder. Um, we're probably going to explore this. <laughs> we are going to explore. There's something called pika? Pika, which she doesn't have because she has to have anemia to have that. But, yeah. that, but yes, I, did, I do think that. I did think that. <laughs> she's walking, running... Um, teething, dancing, dancing, everything. She's magic, but she's hard. Yeah. She's a toddler, and yeah. and we love her, and everything is just wild, and fast, and amazing. So now we've decided that we want to talk about all these things that we do. I thought you were gonna say. So now we've decided we want to talk about number two. No, no, not <laughs> yet. Not yet. But we've decided that we want to talk about all this mothery goodness and learn and educate. And this is kind of how St. Magella's been born. Yeah, that's right. With our births as, as mothers. We've been birthed into motherhood. <laughs> so, do you want to meet Mel? I don't think they do. You don't think they do? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Maybe they do. I'll give them a little uh, Mel in a nutshell. So should I tell you a little bit about myself first or should I just, what should we do? How about I just say I've always known I wanted to be a mother. Like the reason I actually know this is because I can think back to all the times I've tried to throw things out. Like I go, oh, I'm never going to wear this dress again. So true. And I'm like, no, hang on. And this could be me as like a 12 year old, literally like throwing, throwing out old clothes oh, no, but maybe that would look so cute on my daughter one day. So this fixation on having a daughter started, like, I don't know, pre-teens. Or is that <laughs> your excuse for being a hoarder? We all never yeah. know. <laughs> yes, it could be, but, um, you know. No, whatever. I completely understand. Becoming a mother, it didn't happen that early, I guess. I was 34 when I got pregnant. Um, I knew I wanted to have a child for a year before that with Nick um we'd kind of made the decision it took a little while to actually fully commit but then um once we did it actually took six months of trying um so sex became that whole to use my special word that I'm using today monotonous event. oh anonymous. <laughs> monotonous. Uh, I can't say that word so that's Mel's word <laughs> um no it was still good Sorry, Nick, if you're listening. <laughs> but um, it was just, yeah, we, we had a goal. And so we're like, okay, it's not working. It's I not think working. a lot it's of people working. can definitely yeah. resonate with that. Yeah. So um, anyway, it didn't take that long in the scheme of things. Six months is actually quite short. But um, it felt long at the time. But when it happened, we were on a holiday in Cuba slash Mexico. Um, I don't know which city we're in at the time but clearly we're having lots of sex. holidays <laughs> and holidays babies sex. it's how it goes folks yeah they <laughs> say that your um what's that stress hormone cortisol levels or something cortisol drop. Low. well of course mm, it so makes what's happening with us all trapped in our houses now i know or maybe the other maybe everyone's gonna get pregnant because we're all at home and we're just like hum drumming and kind of chilled but 
Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Either, either. Holiday or home. Holiday Babies or home. Babies happen. <laughs> so it happened then. We came back from a holiday. I actually didn't know I was pregnant. And this was like the one time where I didn't rush to get a pregnancy test. Every other month I was like, oh, quick. And then our friend Maria was moving overseas. So we were having like a going away party. And before deciding to have drinks, I was like, hey, maybe I should just have a test. And Nick was like, yeah, yeah, cool. Did the test together. We actually were together in the bathroom. Oh, that's really sweet. It was cute. And we I did it with you. It. Yeah, you did your <laughs> test with me. It's my claim to fame. Um, we looked at the test and we just looked at each other and we just both went like, we did it. Like, I'm pretty sure we said that in unison. We did it. <laughs> um, we were just so shocked. Um, anyway, I was sick for 16 weeks. Um, I'm a hypochondriac. So me being sick is not like, I didn't vomit once. I was just, I just felt hungover and nauseous the whole time. And I was like, Bleh. I didn't want to do anything. All I wanted to do was just like lay in bed, but even that wasn't good. Yeah. All I wanted to eat was Cocoa Pops, cornflakes, yada, yada. <laughs> Classic camping food. Yeah. But I was so excited when you got pregnant. Yeah. I was like, was oh my God, we're sharing this Because journey. what's better than doing something super scary and exciting than with someone? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think that really just changed the way that I looked at pregnancy as well. Because having someone, a midwife, and a friend going through it at the same time, you really like gave me that guidance and I guess, yeah, pointed me in a certain direction, which I now am in. Yeah. Which is just like, we you know, love being to pamper. wholesome, authentic, um, looking after ourselves. Mm. And yeah, I started to do that. Um, me in pregnancy, probably the best Melissa that ever existed, I like to think. <laughs> I like you both ways. Yeah, well. Um, I don't know, I just had this inner confidence that I had never had before and um, I feel like I just came into my own. Yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah. Summer was amazing being pregnant. I dreamt that I was going to have a girl. Everyone said I was going to have a boy, but I was um, not going to find out. So I got to my 40 weeks and I still hadn't given birth. And I remember it was Easter weekend. And I was like, I am going to the beach this weekend. It was like 30 degrees. Lovely. I'm like, definitely. That's it. We're going. So literally packed the bag and everything. The night before, I um, went to the supermarket and I felt this really strong pain. Um, not, not the worst pain, but like an unusual pain in the car the night before. And I was like, oh, that was weird. Oh, probably a Braxton Hicks or something. And then the next day, so I didn't think anything of it after that. I was like, obviously it's coming. And the next day, um, started to feel that same thing again at 10 in the morning. And then it was just um, once every hour. And I just sat on the exercise ball. Nick was making this cake. <laughs> Best cake I've ever eaten. <laughs> so we were like fully nesting. They say that you stereotypically nest when you're about to give birth. And Nick and I were both like at it in the kitchen cooking everything. I made like almond hazelnut honey joy things, um, pudding, um, this cake. Everything was sweet. Everything was delicious was and sweet. And I happened to be away that weekend. So <laughs> yeah. I... Where were you? Boogie first. Oh, that's right. So for my birth, it was Boogie first. And for your birth, it was Mazzy first. Yep. Interesting. We love a festival. <laughs> Will we ever get back to one? Oh, maybe one day. Um, so yeah, we were listening to music. Nick was making this chocolate caramel cheesecake. Um, I was still determined to go to the beach, but anyway, um, then the, the surges kind of got worse or harder to deal with. I went into the bath, used clary sage, just playing music. Um, I was thinking of my grandma who had six births. Um, the last one didn't make it to the hospital. So I was like sure that I was going to give birth really quickly. So it was kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, it's in my blood that we just birth quickly, you know, <laughs> which is a beautiful way to look at it. <laughs> it is, but also, manifest. Like, also, um, irrelevant in a way. I'm just like, it was my first baby. I'm talking about my grandma's sixth baby. So. <laughs> <laughs> She's a grand multi. <laughs> um, there was one 
contraction that really freaked me out and I had in my head, okay, I'm not going to be able to cope with the 45-minute drive um, to the hospital unless I just go now. So literally packed the bag. Um, Nick took one toothbrush and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Key note of the story. Yeah. (laughs) One toothbrush, Key. Yeah, yeah, he's got it. Um, so when I got to the hospital, I was, I think my contractions were like six minutes apart. You'll know all this kind of stuff as a midwife. I was like, I had no idea whether that meant I was giving birth soon or what. I was four centimetres dilated, I've got in my notes. Yeah. Does that mean I was close? Or... You were in active labour. I was in active labour. Yeah. If you were four centimetres and you were contracting well, yeah, mm. we would say that would be active labour. Okay, so I spent all my pre-labour at home. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, got to the hospital and um, my OB wasn't there. So I went private and I was expecting my obstetrician to be there, but she was actually away because it was Easter. Yay, holiday time. Um, so I got a different OB looking after me. Um, I declined breaking the waters. I was scared of bringing on stronger contractions. I just wanted it all to be just natural. And, you know, I went into the bath and couldn't deal with my... I had a playlist all set up with beautiful songs that just like... So exciting to do it while I was pregnant and put all the songs together related to having this child. And I expected this magical experience. Anyway, the music I couldn't deal with. I was like, shut up. (laughs) The massages, I was like, Nick, go away. Um, I wanted hot water. I wanted cold water. I wanted, you know, everything. Nothing was really alleviating my issues at that time. Um, I didn't want an epidural. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it um, the most natural way possible. I wanted to feel like my daughter coming through, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and feeling control. Um, Nick said the words, babe, if anyone could see you now, they would think you've done this before. You're such a natural. What a man. I know. What a man. Okay, yeah. Three seconds later, I did the most high-pitched <laughs> scream. <laughs> And, like, I'd learned in calm birth that you don't do high pitch. You know, try to keep everything quite guttural and, um, and I just went off the charts. I was like, um, and I, after that, said, I need help. I need help. Um, so they gave me the, the nitrous oxide, the gas, laughing gas, yeah. um, which made my voice really deep and that made me laugh, but it didn't really help my pain. Um and then I just, I was like crying and the, Jean was my midwife and she was saying, hey, you know, we can give you an epidural if you want. And I was saying, no, 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 I don't think I can do it. No, I shouldn't do it, but I want to, I really do. And then she said, she said, Laurie's here now and she can give it to you. And that's when I broke down and like, it was like, it hit me. Yes. Um, Laurie on a personal note, um, my best mate, Kate, um, her mum is Laurie and she passed away a few years back and I had a really strong connection with Laurie. Yeah. And so just hearing those words in a time of, you know, pain and Yeah, in such a vulnerable vulnerability, time. Yeah. Hearing labor. the words, literally, Laurie is here. She mm. can help you. Mm. Was I took it as a sign. I'm not even like a religious person, but... I guess I am spiritual, yeah. but um, I took that and I just went, I ran with it. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, that's what I need. Laurie, Laurie what I need. come and help me. So um, they got Laurie in and I didn't need to wait very long. And yeah, had the epidural. And then it was pretty much sit back and relax in a way. And Nick and I were just kind of looking at, Nick went from a really active contributor to my experience to both of us being passive and that that affected me in that moment in that time I was a bit like oh the heat's off what's happening now we're twiddling our thumbs we're kind of looking at each other Nick's looking at his phone I was feeling a bit disconnected from him and it just yeah it just felt weird I was watching tv anyway then it didn't take long though. I actually felt like I needed to poo. And I was like, I was like, oh no, not now. I don't need to poo now. What do I do? I can't even walk. Cause you obviously like, you can't move. Yeah. You're stuck on the bed. in bed. 
So I was like, oh. And I told the midwife and she was like, let me just check you. And then they were all surprised. Oh, my God, call the OB. She needs to give birth now. I was fully dilated. So they put me in the stirrup thingies, whatever they're called, and was told to push. So I was too scared to actually look. They were like, do you want to see? Here's a mirror. Do you want to see? I was like, no. But I felt I felt my child's head, which was um, invigorating. It was so cute. Um, and then, yeah, push, push, push. It took an hour of pushing and she came out. Like there really wasn't anything that happened up to that point where um, – I mean, the story's pretty bland, you know, like it all just kind of happened. Um, and even the pushing, like it was really hard and I didn't believe I could do it. Um, my voice inside my head was like, no, nah, they're all lying. You're nowhere near getting her out. But like, I did it. What was the feeling when she just came out? Like when she crowned and just, cause I didn't get to crown yeah. essentially. So did you feel it? It was the epidural wearing off or could you feel that stinging and burning I didn't feel any stinging no stinging or burning no but I did feel her coming out like the pressure yeah like I did feel that there was success like there was you know a head out and then yeah so that was good then did you put your hands down and pick her up or they just put her straight on your chest Nick caught her oh okay so like yeah, so Nick was there the whole time and he actually said, I heard him say to the obstetrician, can I, can I catch it? And he was like, yeah, put your hands here. And then he caught her and put her on my chest. So nice. And, and we both, then Nick was around me and, and we're both looking down and just looking at, at this baby's face. I'm just going, oh my God, like making those cooing noises. We're like, oh. And then the other, the midwife and the doctor were like, um, what, what, what is it? And we're like, oh, shit, we haven't even looked. And it was a girl. And I was like, I knew it! <laughs> My intuition. Yeah. Um, and then I looked at Nick's face and there was poo on it. <laughs> <laughs> so and how did he manage to get poo on his face? <laughs> Who's poo also, so, might I add? So my poo. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so he caught Sadie... And then he, he, once, once he'd put her on my, on my chest and then they said, it's a girl. And then he went, oh my God. And put his hands on his face in shock. So he was barehanded so for the birth? Yeah. He was, oh, well, if he had gloves, he may have had gloves. I don't remember. We'll have to ask anyway. him. <laughs> <laughs> but he put the shit on his face. Oh my God. So, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Everything just went really well. It was beautiful. And we were in our little love bubble at the hospital for the next five days where we stayed um, and just had food delivered to us on call and people coming to visit. And we had our own beautiful little room and it was so nice. So nice. I remember joining that little love bubble for an afternoon and meeting Sadie and seeing you both as parents and you had like a platter of gourmet fish and (laughs) chips in front of you. And I was like, wow, this is... A little different to my public hospital. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the different thing that happened in my experience was more the postpartum. I did the whole 40, 40 days at home. Um, I think I only went to your baby shower, Celeste, and that was my one outing and maybe a walk. So were you, like you were just at home for so 40 days? I stayed home. Yeah. Not, you weren't going Didn't out and go doing out. shopping or anything? Nothing. Coffees? No. No. Wow, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, and it was so nice, like everyone bringing meals and stuff. How lovely. Yeah, it is so special. And I feel like a lot of people around me just totally understood it. I didn't have those annoying guests that come there and expect mm. to be treated with, yeah. you know. You had friends coming things. over and doing the dishes, yeah. looking, giving you the shower, yeah, having that alone time. Yeah. We no, can't stress great. enough how important that how is. important we and how much we love that 40 day concept yeah if you haven't read the book the first 40 days here's our first plug oh yeah that's a plug <laughs> that we are not getting paid for yeah. we just love the hell out of that book <laughs> so good all through the pregnancy nick and i had made a decision that we were going to have some time living away um over the winter so we knew sadie was due in april 
And by the time it got to winter, we wanted to be out of here. We wanted to be somewhere in the sun and we didn't want Nick to be working. And so we decided to go to Bali. So we actually spent three months um, living in Bali. But while Sadie was three months to six months old. And it was incredible. It was really, really nice. Um, it had its own challenges. So I don't want to just like act like it was just magical and dreamy as you can probably like you'll have a picture in your mind yeah. and you're like oh wow bitch like <laughs> it was well, hard as what, well what was the challenges like just maybe brush over because we will go into this probably yeah. another time about traveling with children yes definitely um so challenges well relationship challenges um you know it nicks a surfer and that place is full of surf so you know, he obviously wanted to enjoy that and that, that brought its own challenges. Um, we moved around a lot, mm-hmm. so um, we probably should have stayed push. We moved all over Bali. Um, Were you at all ever, like, worried in terms of just the fact that it was kind of more an unknown and a different country? Were you concerned about her health or... I was before. Traffic or... Yeah. What, did you have any fears there or were you pretty laid back? Yeah, traffic was. Um, one of the biggest downsides was travelling around. Um, travelling around in Bali is tricky. There's, you can't even really take cars. Like, yep. there's scooters or you walk everywhere and it's just so hot. And hard with a newborn. So hard. Well, not a newborn but a baby. Practically a newborn. Three months is... Yeah. Bob, so baby. Um, so, yeah, it was really hard. Prams are a no-go there. So, you know, you can't really... It's all rickety yeah. sidewalks. Um, and the big thing was, like, um, no mother support. So I expected to go over there and find my little network. Um, but And I even went on all these Facebook groups and stuff, and there was nothing. Like, I reached out to heaps of people, nothing. Um, so whilst I'm sure there are things that exist, I couldn't find them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was worried about, you know, the medical side of things. Um, but I was also assured at the fact that there's so many expats over there and I mean, it's not like you're in the 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 slums of India India trying to live. You're in a place that it has got access to a fair bit of luxury. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and the best parts about it and the best parts, the massages. Oh yeah. The yoga literally every day. So that was like really good for my recovery. I just like eased into it. Um, and I think that was my most yoga fit. But when I came back from Bali, I was onto it. I was like better than I ever had been. Yeah. But anyway, now I'm back to being crap (laughs) in COVID. We can't even get out there and do yoga anymore. Uh, the good food. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Such good food. We also got to have a couple of date nights. So um, I lived at one of my best mates. Um, she's got a villa over there. She lives over there. And um, her um, Pembantu, they call them, which is like a maid caretaker kind of person, has kids of her own and was so thrilled to have Sadie for an hour or two. So Fantastic. we like, after we obviously got to know her, we trusted her. We'd go out for like a dinner, and that was like, oh, so amazing. To Almost do that unheard of sometimes in that first six months. Yeah, yeah. So that was good, and obviously the weather and having time together with Nick and and Sadie together, that was good. Beautiful. And from coming home from Bali to now, how yes. how's it gone? I feel like coming back from Bali, we were so ready to come back. We were like busting to see all our friends and just get back into like normal life we rejoined together after Mm. very different experiences hospital versus bali but almost to the same week i came out of hospital and you came home from bali and we're like okay well we've gone a little off track from where we were in our pregnancy but here we are let's do this clarify i was in bali And Celeste was in hospital yeah, so for the same period, if not, you were in hospital longer. Yeah. yeah. So I was on a fold-out couch <laughs> and Mel was in a villa. In a, in a super king bed, might I add. But my baby oh, did so sleep all night. Yes. And yours did not. And mine didn't. Yeah. But I didn't sleep all night. But that yeah. was 
Well, neither here nor there. That's normal, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, should we do our soulful six? Yes. Let's do our soulful six. Okay. So our soulful six is something that we're going to bring into every podcast with every guest that we have to interview with at the end of the podcast, we are going to ask six of the same questions to every single person just to really get to know them that little bit more and kind of dig into their soul, see what inspires them, what interests them. And we're going to do it for us so you guys can kind of open us up. I'm going to ask you first. Okie doke. Let's do this. Okay, give me your most inspiring place. So the place that you've been that you felt most inspired. So this one kind of tripped me up a little. I didn't really know if I wanted to go big to like a different overseas country that really inspired me because obviously I picked up inspiration in many a place Mm. and or just somewhere like an art gallery or something like that but I have settled with just all round I want to say Mexico Mm -hmm. I've always been drawn to the country I've been there three times very lucky to have been to Mexico three times and the reason it kind of just inspires me, it inspires me to go back to a really natural state of living, a really slow and introspective way of living, which I aspire to be. Is that because the people there are like that? I think it's the people, the holiday vibe, the heat. I think heat Mm. just, I'm a real lizard. I don't know why I live in Victoria, honestly. (laughs) I love the sun. I love being warm. I love siestas. I need to live in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so St. Magellan moves overseas. (laughs) So St. Magellan moves. So I would say, yes, it inspires me with colours, with culture, and with slowness. Yep. Okay, cool. What gives you a brain orgasm? Ah, the old brain orgasm. (laughs) Just so closely followed by the real orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) I would say a brain orgasm for me. So how I find a brain orgasm is something where you just get really excited, your heart rate goes up and mm-hmm. you just, it's just thrilling. It feels good. Yep. And it feels right. It is <laughs> going to be for me homes and interiors and aesthetically beautiful decorating. <laughs> Getting in an extreme rabbit hole of beautiful interiors and finding ideas and creating in my mind. And honestly, I've spent whole days just rearranging my lounge room. Yeah. Just over and over again. And like yeah. a little, little tweak of a vase. So uh, many things give me a brain orgasm. But I, I would have to say just flat out beautiful interior decoration really floats my boat. Love it. Give me your most soul-nourishing ritual. So, my most, there's many, because I do love a splash of self-care. But my most soul-nourishing ritual that I do do really often, and I often do it now when Mazzy's asleep, is just lying in the sun, getting a pile of books, no pants on, a journal... A nice drink, whether it's a smoothie or an alcohol, a wine midday, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, old three and just, just finding the sun wherever it is, if it's inside my window or if it's outside, and just lying there, closing down those eyes. Mostly I never touch the pile of books and journal that I've brought next to me. I always just end up actually just lying there and just being still. And I find that stillness to be so invigorating, Mm. so soul-nourishing. I feel peaceful now. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, If you had to go on a bushwalk with someone, dead or alive, who would it be? So this one just was super easy for me because my mum passed away when she was 21. When I was 21, sorry. (laughs) Not when she was 21. I wasn't born then. (laughs) When I was 21. So um, coming up to seven years ago now and I would definitely love to go on a bushwalk with my mum and she would highly enjoy it she was a a full bushwalker herself and just to chat about 
what her thoughts are on everything mm-hmm. that's going on in the world now, what her thoughts about Mazzy and me and... And even just to catch up just, on the time. Yeah, just to catch missed. up. Like, I could talk for days and just to chat to her about nothing and this being her presence would be incredible. Mm, that's beautiful. How do you incorporate sustainability in your life? What's your top tip? What do you do? So, sustainability, I feel like I, I am quite... A sustainable person I have the environment and the planet at the forefront of my mind a lot but I would say the most sustainable thing that I do every day would just be not eating meat and not buying much dairy I would say that that would probably be the most mm-hmm. impactful thing that I am doing in my everyday life okay and finally um, your greatest achievement So this one, straight away, I thought Mazzy because having, like, what greater achievement is literally a walking, talking ball of cells that you have made. (laughs) But especially kind of the achievement of just getting through what I did go through for four months in hospital and still am going through with um, a baby with chronic illness with a positive outlook and a smile. So I'm really proud of myself for that achievement. The fact that I didn't wallow in the didn't um even though it's all fine to feel all your feels and Mm. wallow and be depressed and be anxious and all that I'm just really proud of myself and I find it a great achievement that I was able to take the positive trail of that whole experience and still be a very happy and pleasant mother Mm. and person to be around I'm really proud of myself for that yeah and you've always been present yeah that's the big thing as well yeah like lost in your own yeah. wallowing yeah and, it, and I, I could have left her in the special care nursery for <clears throat> many days on her own she was well looked after I actually didn't need to be there because she was getting bottles the whole time even though it was my breast milk I didn't actually have to be there but I maintained at the cost of my own sleep and my mm-hmm. own health really to stay by her side because they, I couldn't have thought of being anywhere else other than with her there was no no greater spot to be than just right next to where she was she was my home so yeah she's she i would say she's my greatest achievement Mm. beautiful okay your turn soulful girl all right i'm still a bit uh funny on the last one but anyway let's start from the top see what comes out (laughs) so the most inspiring place that you have been to okay um the place that pops into my mind is Essaouira in Morocco. So I don't know if you've ever been to Morocco. No, but, but it Essaouira is a, It's a seaside town, um, I guess on the same latitude as Marrakesh, if you look on a map, similar. Um, small fishing village, very musical vibe, um, absolutely gorgeous scenes. Um, the best thing about it, of course, was the people. Um, so me and my friends went to a music store, this little tiny little hut um, in one of the little laneways, which had like a bit of a San Sebastian vibe. Yeah, you know, nice. San Sebastian has nice. all those laneways. Um, and he was selling those bongo things and then we got friends with him and then he introduced us to his friends and then we ended up having connections with the Riyadh that we were staying at and then they taught, took us to a market and went fishing and it was just such a beautiful welcoming place. And I can't wait to go back there. I just feel like I could get shit done there. Amazing. Take Sadie Nick there. Oh, I will. What gives you a brain orgasm? One of the most recent things that I've come across is um, this chick, Esther Perel. And when I listen to her, I get a brain orgasm. And (laughs) honestly, she gives me both orgasms. (laughs) Yeah. Physical and brain. Um, she talks about relationships and, you know, the balance between freedom and security um, that I can so relate to in my own life. And every time I hear it, just, she just makes sense. She does. She just breaks down every relationship trouble that you've ever yeah. had in your life. She just puts it so plainly that you just go, of course that's why it happened. <laughs> oh. So I had to talk about her. If you've never... If you've never heard anything about her i urge you to listen to esther perel beautiful good one and what's your most soul nourishing ritual 
So mine's um, quite basic um, and it makes sense that I live down here, but I think if ever I need to recharge, I literally go to the back beach, the ocean. And I just think it's my place. It's always been, whilst I never lived near the ocean, the ocean has always been a place of recharging for me. Um, and it depends on where I'm at in my cycle. I've, I've just recently listened to another person I'm going to reference. <laughs> Is it Claire Baker? Is that you? her name? Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, and learnt all about my cycle. And I find that, for instance, if I'm in my autumn phase, I'm really hungry for information. I'll go to the beach and I'll be listening to a podcast. And that's how that will change in that yeah. moment. Whereas if I'm um, in my summer and I'm just like bursting with energy, maybe I'll go for a little run, go for a swim. And like that will be my beach sesh. Nice. Love it. Who would you like to go on a bushwalk with, dead or alive? Uh, there's this guy called Yanis Varoufakis and he's um, he used to be like the finance minister in Greece. <laughs> Celeste is looking at me with this bizarre look <laughs> on her face like, what? <laughs> um, I was listening to a Russell Brand podcast once and he was talking to Yanis and first of all, his voice is the sexiest thing you will have ever heard. Okay. No, I'm not kidding. He's got this Greek accent and it's just like, it's gorgeous. But mainly he's just so intelligent. He's written this book written about the economy. What's it called? Talking to my daughter about the economy or how capitalism works and how it fails. I guess that explains the way he talks about stuff that you just feel is so overwhelming and I'm never going to understand how the economy works. I'm yep, never going to understand. That's definitely my vibe right now, so maybe I need to listen to him. Yeah, you should. Because like, it's just topics that you just, no way, I'd never get it. He simplifies it and I just want to talk to him about all kinds of things like that and just be like, oh, that's what I should do. Or, you Fantastic. Know? Giannis. Yeah, Giannis. Giannis. Go Giannis. Go Giannis. Yeah. How do you incorporate sustainability into your life? Okay. Um, I've actually wanted to talk to you about this since I've made this decision. Um, I'm going to have bees in my backyard. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> so um, actually on Monday I'm meeting with a friend that um, helps with the Save the Bees down here because they're really good for your veggie patch. They're just really good overall to have bees. Um, we need bees to pollinate our vegetables and whatnot. So, yeah, that's going to be my addition. Awesome. I can't wait to see you in a bee suit. I know. <laughs> and my name actually means honeybee, by the way. So, like, you know, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. Meant to meant be. To be. <laughs> <laughs> that was not intended. We are so lame. And finally, what is your greatest achievement? Ugh. How could I not say my daughter? Honestly. How could you not? It's so cliche and I've really been battling with this, but I can't, there's nothing in my life that has been more meaningful than raising, not just birthing, but raising this little girl, yep. Sadie. Um, it's going to have to be that. Simple. Perfect. Thanks for listening to the St. Magella podcast. If you love this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. You can also join us in the shift from depleted mother to nurtured mother at www.stmagella.com, on Instagram at St. Magella, or by sharing with a mama friend. Speak soon. Bye.